0: Hello and welcome once again to the Startup Survival Podcast with me, Peter Harrington. This episode looks at creating and growing a social enterprise and with the help of my special guest, Sebastian Jaramillo, I'll be exploring the world of entrepreneurial social impact in the 21st century. Modern society is incredibly advanced, technology solutions abound and technology connects us. Our smartphones relay news by the hour and rarely a day passes without a new human discovery, breakthrough or achievement. That same connecting technology also shares, often with graphic images, society's problems, ills and challenges. And since humankind has created most, if not all, of these problems, we must take responsibility for solving them. before we consider society's problems and ways to develop enterprise solutions, let me take you back to the sunshine days of 1989, and specifically the period between graduation and starting my first venture. I'd landed a four-week summer job, working 12 hours a day as a security guard at key London events. Okay, for those of you who know me, that will sound laugh-out-loud ridiculous, but for £2.26 an hour, my naive new employer bought my time and limited talents and entrusted me with gate guarding at Royal Ascot as well as the tennis at Queen's and Wimbledon's BBC private compound. Oh, the badge checking power I held over so many sports stars and smart suited celebrity guests. But my temporary nonsense status is not the reason for sharing this story. Moreover, I'm recalling this to highlight a moment at the Ascot races. I distinctly remember watching a Range Rover driver leaving a car park field at the end of the day, his window down and his celebratory fist waving a fat wad of notes in the air. And to ensure attention, his brag and boastful wave was accompanied by a repeating gleeful gloat of LOADS OF MONEY! Thanks to comedian Harry Enfield, this famous phrase had woven itself into British culture back then. Mr Enfield's loads of money, Cockney character depicted the heady times of the Thatcherite entrepreneurial 80s. Now, Wonga worshippers will always be part of society. Rightly or wrongly, many people dream of becoming rich. The problem is that whilst the idea of riches has natural human appeal, wealthy extremes typically only serve to fuel inequality. Research shows inequality is at the heart of many of society's problems and socially conscious people especially are keen to work to right that imbalance. Q. The social enterprise. Instead of having commercial intent, a social enterprise focuses on and confronts social need. Looking at its history, the roots of social enterprise appear to go back to the late 19th century and in particular the Carnegie model, which at its core espoused the making of a fortune and then giving it away to good causes. Over the years, this model has been refined and by the 1970s, private sector social entrepreneurs were starting new ventures in a variety of fields including low-income housing, care for the elderly and vocational training, to, to name but a few. By the late 20th century, external events, including the rise of the personal computer and the internet, were catalyzing social awareness. Globally, there was also an increased movement towards entrepreneurial thinking and startup up behaviour. In his first major speech as Prime Minister in 1997, Tony Blair referenced the importance of social enterprise. In the same year, Sir Michael Young launched the School for Social Enterprise – The subject's popularity has continued to grow at an exponential rate. Research published in 2018 by Social Enterprise UK showed the industry contributed £60 billion to the British economy and employed 5% of total employees. And if you're looking beyond UK borders, the website, Social Good Stuff, provides a wealth of data broken down by country. For example, you'll discover 89% of all U.S. social enterprises have been created since 2006. Social enterprise is a modern phenomenon, and it's no surprise to learn most universities and colleges embed related teaching into many modules. As a result, all over the world, more and more individuals are making a powerful social difference. And I was delighted when Sebastian Haramillo accepted the invitation to be part of this podcast. His story and adventure into social enterprising activities, together with his insight and practical advice, is for me a highlight of this whole series. <music> Sebastián Jaramillo is the founder of TXC, a Colombian organisation based in Bogotá that is seeking to break down barriers and reduce the poverty cycle caused by unwanted teenage pregnancy. Having worked with the Colombian government and then the United Nations, Sebastián established TXC in 2018 to help young people live more prosperous lives and thus be able to contribute more. As part of my preparation for his interview, Seb told me that one in five Colombian teenage girls is or has been pregnant, and the government spends the equivalent of a billion pounds each year on related education and healthcare, etc. But rather than hear any more from me, let's get Seb onto the show so he can share his work and offer thoughts and advice to anyone considering setting up a social enterprise. Once again, pandemic life means we have kept our social distance, so we have the digital airwaves and Duncan, my producer, to thank for bringing us all together. Sebastian, welcome to the Startup Survival podcast.
1: Peter, thank you very much for your invitation. I love your podcast. I think that it's what the people are needing to start their social enterprises
0: and just get out there. Thank you, Seb. Now, just before you join me on air, I shared a bit about you and your social enterprise. But can you say a bit more about what you do? Sure. So, Peter, um, I founded the TXC almost
1: three years ago, and we're the one-stop shop for sex education. Uh, So we deliver sex education interventions at school to prevent teenage pregnancy. We are using uh, technology, chatbots, Internet of Things so that students can access their sexual and reproductive rights, and then that poverty cycle caused by unwanted teenage
0: pregnancy. So take me back, Seb. How and why did you start a business that focuses on sex education? So it it was um, a a crashy road, a bumpy road, as
1: as, as you say, because first I I knew I wanted to do some social impact, so I started with a fintech. And that was nice. The money was flowing, but my life was looking at a spreadsheet. I was going to go nuts. So I say, OK, forget this. I exit that uh, startup. I sold the technology and I promised myself I'm going to do something that really drives me. So for anyone that is hearing or everyone that is hearing this podcast, I think that's the best uh, advice ever. So just do something that matters to you, do something that is a big problem to you, do something that really drives you. Because it's the only thing that is going to keep you moving. So at the end, uh, after two years of thinking, I just uh, decided to do what I always wanted to do. And it was uh, to um, help change education. And in Colombia and in Latin America and in most developing countries, teenage pregnancy is being one of the main causes of school dropouts. So it was just a no-brainer to go that way. So it was something that really dri- really drove me. Something that w- I knew it was going to make a huge impact, and it, I, 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 we're still looking towards towards that. But it's mainly because it's something that I really like. It's something that I dri- that, that drives me. Um, have some personal experiences around that. I had a, um, a girlfriend at the time that she was ten years older than me, and she had a, she was a teenage mother. Uh, I was uh, in my early in my early twenties, and I saw how it's hard for a for a for a woman to to be a, a teenage mother. Um, I saw I was close to the environment of of teenage mothers. I saw how they were struggling, so I just saw it as a a, a no brainer. And there is a place to to hit. And besides, it's it's fun, it's sexy, it's disruptive. So
0: so for me, it was a no brainer. A no brainer. So you knew absolutely you wanted to do this. That's the way it should be. Like It, it must
1: be a no-brainer for, for you to get into that because it means that you're really passionate about it. The things that,
0: it, that it really drives you, it, it, it is what's going to really push you towards that goal. For listeners, can I just get some context? You founded a social enterprise focusing on sex education in a country where, according to my research, 78% of people view themselves as Catholic. Is that right? That's right. And was your girlfriend's experience the key driver for this new venture? Or had you been thinking about this social problem for some time before that? Ideas for before that, uh, because since you're since you're young uh,
1: and a little kid, you're exposed to this environment, to so going to the villages and you're seeing a lot of teenage pregnancy, uh, teenage moms, kids, uh, kids not going to school, and it's like um, implicit and you don't see it that much or you don't talk about it that much or it's it's just normalized, right? Uh, but but you begin to, to think about it and build on that and there's just triggers over time. And and I say that the, the girlfriend the story was more kind of a trigger, but it, it's something that builds over time. So many times when you're beginning a startup, you try to look to the future, right? What am I going to do? Oh, what's my passion I think the advice is look, to, look towards the past. What are those things that you that you really like to do? What are those things that people, if they don't pay you, you're, you're doing it? And I'm not speaking only about work things. I'm speaking about your hobbies, uh, what, what you spend time, what you enjoy. So it could be technology. It could be helping people. It could be playing. It could be whatever. What that, that pieces are the answers. Bring them together
0: to something that really builds your purpose because it's something that's going to get you there. And the fact that you would be working on this problem in a predominantly Catholic country, was that one of the reasons that drew you towards it? Mm, not at all. Not at all. It's that's just
1: a barrier. Uh, the the problem is there. Uh, the, the the development constraint is there. So just let me walk you through how big is this problem. There's no single way a uh, developing country can graduate into a developed country if they don't address this problem. It's, as the United Nations stated, a poverty factory in Latin America. So just the Catholic or the religion, it's another barrier that we have to to overcome. And don't get me wrong when I say barrier. It's just it's not in the negative aspect, right? It's just that it's something that it's there uh, since a long time ago. And uh, you can... Uh, work with them, cooperate with, with, with people. We don't try to, to make controversy. We try to get the controversy out of the aspect. It's more a collaborative, understanding, uh, working together
0: kind of approach. Seb, before we dig into the story of your business, anyone listening will have picked up on the fact you are educated, articulate and committed to a cause. In other words, you have key skills that would lead you to a high-paying job but you have chosen a different path. Why is that? I think it's a hard question, but it, it kind of
1: builds on the story of the fintech. That was like a for-profit. Um, it was like a perfect role in a sense, high growth in pe- uh, uh, technology company, but there was no purpose. Uh, I wasn't being motivated. I was getting bored and uh i always feel good while helping people there's like this this a uh, theory called um, altruistic capital and altruistic capital is just that people feel good when helping others and for me it's it can be greedy in a sense because i don't do it for the others i do it because it feels good for me and and that's that's a blessing and 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 that's where i i, I try to to focus so Nowadays, it's, it would be impossible to go back to uh, a traditional
0: corporation that is not making social impact. Seb, I'm keen to learn more about the practical steps you took to start and grow TXC. Can you take us back to 2018 and share your experience and insights? Perfect. So I would, I would start by
1: um, identifying that uh, status quo, that equilibrium that you want to change. In my case, it was the teenage pregnancy. It was the status quo. It was normalized. That was my my goal. That's my vision. That's my driver. Get the purpose really wrapping all all of that. If you don't have the purpose, don't get into that because it's going to be messy and it's going to be hard and and the the purpose is going to drive you there. Uh, And after that, it's. Try to get as fast as possible uh, outside of the building. Don't, don't be just in front of your computer doing some research, creating a perfect perfect product. Go out there and, and test it. So for us, it was um, an, incremental, in an incremental kind of step. First, we did a, a, a marketing campaign. The marketing campaign led us to schools. In the schools, we did a, a, a talk. The talk led us to a paid talk. The paid talk led us to an intervention. Uh, a free intervention. The free intervention led us to a paid intervention. The pandemic got here, and the intervention we got it into a remote intervention. So that's like a super fast. But the concept there is um, you try to do it incrementally and get into that uh, concept of lean startup, right? The lean startup approach: build, measure, learn. with super fast. There's a book. So highly recommend that uh, that book: build, measure, learn. And if you're into social, in, into the social aspect, when I was saying about the equilibrium and fighting that. Because it's a little bit tricky, um, being um, uh, an entrepreneur. It's not what they teach you in a, perhaps in an MBA of how to how to run a company. This is to start a company from scratch, and it's put some another complexity there. And it's let's make that company from scratch impact socially impact. So it's even harder. I, I recommend another book. There, it's it's called Getting Beyond Better. Getting Beyond Better tells you like what is the approach of a, of, a, of a of a of social entrepreneurship so that would be the first thing um the second thing um it would be building a powerpoint presentation and going and asking for sponsorship don't ask for money it's gonna be just too hard like really that like numbers are against you People, when you go and asking for money, they're gonna think it not twice. They're gonna think it many times. And if you're just with a presentation and you don't have any track record, you don't have any traction, you don't have any, they will not give you the money. So, but if you with that presentation ask for sponsorship. So, for instance, you need a web page, or for instance, you need uh, whatever you need to just get moving. Go and ask the people. Hey, I am doing this. This problem is this big. They need to see you highly motivated. They're gonna, they're gonna buy you not only the idea. The idea is compelling, but they're gonna buy you. And when they see, when they see your your enthusiasm, they're gonna probably help us. We did that for our web, web page, PR, uh, uh, publicity,
0: uh, help in the in the in the in the sector, experts, etc. So, who did you approach, Seb, when you got out of the building? Can you name any names? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, for example, in in, in Colombia,
1: there's um, this company really good around measuring um, traditional media and and um, and digital media. It's called Buo, and Buo help us to understand what how were how were people speaking about sex education. So, to understand the landscape, it gave us a clarity and where was the gap and how to approach it. And to nowadays, they're our partner. They're still our partner. Uh, it's called Buo, and uh, they're amazing. Another example, it's uh, in that, in that days, it was called Burson uh, Besteller. Now it's called Burson Cannon Wolf. So it was a PR agency. And this PR agency helped us um, getting the word out there. So there's these guys doing this new thing, and they just build the narrative, build the whole case, Um, uh, uh, show it to the media, and we
0: were there in the media. And I imagine the sponsors you were acquiring gave you leverage when you visited schools. Is is that right, Seb? That's right, because at the end, you
1: don't carry a suitcase and, and go everywhere. You carry a PowerPoint and go everywhere. And that PowerPoint begins to build on logos. These people help us here. These people help us here. And what does that mean? These people are trusting us. Can you trust us? So it's easier to to build the
0: trust of people because at the end, what you need is trust. So you're saying building trust and building trusted partnerships is key for any social enterprise seeking to establish itself and grow. Yeah, and hopefully those organizations are top of the
1: notch in their sectors. You want to be with the big brother, brilliant rockets, not with the people that are starting. Yeah, the starting ones are really good for the ecosystem, for you to know the the know-how of little things. But when I'm speaking about partnerships and building trust, go out there for the big ones.
0: Since Seb has covered so much ground, I thought it would be useful to go over some of his key reference points. Seb mentioned build, measure, learn, which is one of the central principles of Lean Startup and an approach to startup development pioneered by Eric Ries. According to Eric, Build, Measure, Learn is a framework, a model for establishing and continuously improving the effectiveness of new products, services and ideas both quickly and cost effectively. And Sebastian also mentioned Getting Beyond Better, a book all about how social entrepreneurship works. Written by Sally Osberg and Roger Martin, this compelling read examines who drives change in society and explores how they do it. So let's go back to our man driving change in South America and learn more about what work was like for Seb in the early days of TXC and the impact his organization is now having in Colombia. Seb, to get your social enterprise off the ground in 2018, how many hours a day did you work? Making it simple, I would say double the standard, double the normal, because I was doing
1: a a full-time job at the moment. I couldn't and I think it's a good advice um I couldn't just leave my job because I had to pay my bills so I was work, I was working in the United Nations full time and at the same time building this social impact from scratch so that meant just uh, time management and sleeping 4 or 5 hours 5 hours a day but it was my passion and that's what we have to understand it's not work if if you if you see it as work you're in the wrong you're in the in the wrong side
0: you're in the wrong approach. So for me, it was not worth And when you approached schools in Bogota for the first time to say that you wanted to talk to students about sex education, did they greet you with open arms? The reaction was closing the door, uh, uh, literally, right? So it's
1: sex education and, and sexual reproductive uh, health. It's not in terms of, of, of the ends of, of the ends, but of the, of the, of the how, right? Because the answer are the rights. How can you give rights to these, to these kids? And if you are not speaking about rights, you are not recognizing uh, the past century of, of, uh, world history, right? So the, the key aspect there is how. So at the beginning, we had no idea how to do it. So they just closed the door. Hey, teacher. Hey, school director. We're here going to talk about sex. Boom. They close the door. Was that because schools saw it as a taboo subject? They saw it as a taboo subject and because we did not really understand the barriers. So there's many cultural barriers. And, and the cultural barriers, one of those big cultural barriers is, is taboo. Uh, but at the end, it's just understanding the barriers. What I would like to say is that if you don't go out there, you will not understand those barriers. So we went out there, we said, hey, we're going to give sex ed we didn't even finish the word ed, and we had the, the, the door closed, right? So okay. So no, we're gonna come here and speak about uh health, reproductive health. Um okay, what's that about? Okay, hmm. Okay, we changed the terminology, and at least we are past the door. Now, now and now how to approach it. And we start understanding what was the barrier. So in some places it was religion, some other places no. And we were quite lucky at the moment. And the, the new Pope, Francis the, the Pope, is just amazing. He publicly said that sex education, that sex is, um, in, in the translation, would be something like, um, sex is like, um, I don't know the word done. Done is like a blessing. Sex is like a blessing from God. Perhaps I'm mistaken, but get like into the concept. Can you give me the Pope's words in Spanish? In Spanish, he literally said, el sexo es un don de Dios y hay que dar educación sexual en los colegios con la verdad de manera objetiva. So what is he saying here? He's saying sex education has to be given in schools objectively with the truth. And that's what we're doing. And that's what we go there and and tell them. So it's it's really um, also a nice story is that when, when this PR was also helping us because we knew that there was a big taboo because BOO, the other partnership, showed us, hey, guys, this is a big taboo. And this this is how the how it looks in the numbers. So the PR agency prepared us for a crisis protocol. And the crisis protocol was, okay, when the taboo gets out there and slap you in the face, what are you going to do? And when that happened, we just say, okay, we had a protocol, but why don't why do we have a crisis protocol? And why don't we have a crisis prevention intervention. And there's when we got to put it into the intervention itself to prevent the crisis. So if you are speaking about taboo and all these kinds of things, first advice, prevent the crisis. Second advice, uh, cooperate, work with them.
0: Don't fight, don't build controversy. Don't fight, don't build controversy. These are wise, learned words from Seb. Entrepreneurs and especially social entrepreneurs are passionate about what they do, but regardless of your energy and commitment to a cause, you will come up against rejection and opposing views. The trick is not to fight them, as Seb says, or simply back down. Seb's advice is clear here. Work with your partners, mentors and colleagues to find ways around the obstruction. Solutions rarely present quickly. Remember, to overcome a genuine problem, you need to get out of the building and meet people so you confront and understand the barriers before you can work out ways around them. You won't be surprised to learn that Seb and his team managed to overcome the closed-door mentality and quickly started working in several schools. And within a short space of time, Seb persuaded institutions to not only let them host presentations but he also got permission to place contraceptive dispensing machines within schools i was curious to learn how he had managed to do that
1: i would say that the the, the market leads you there and the problem leads you there and the impact is just the biggest driver so when you when you see when you you have to see impact as a continuous improvement measurement, not as a requirement in a in um in a contract, right? That's a big advice there. See impact me- impact measurement as a continuous improvement. If you're not seeing as a continuous improvement, you you are on the wrong track because you don't have a noise. And in that continuous improvement, we start uh, saying, okay, we have we are giving some knowledge here with this with this um, uh, talks, but where is the axis? To to sexual and reproductive rights. Where's the access to to contraceptive? So uh, hmm, uh, let's 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 build some solutions. We start with dribbling solutions all over the place. We got we got to do test a prototype of the of the vending machine. We got the vending machine there. We say okay, now the vending machine is there. It acted also as kind of a totem or a symbol or a a, a ritual a ceremony in which the whole community was accepting the sexual and reproductive rights. But in one moment, the, the vending machine was running out of, of condoms and nobody was just uh, putting it in there. We we, we had a, a guy or a, a student that was in charge of it, but he forgot or, or or it was not happening. So we said, okay, now we are not delivering. The numbers are, are not happening. The continuous improvement impact measurement is telling us this is not working. So we got the internet of things, the sensor connected to the intern, completely autonomous, That was signaling each time that someone used the the vending machine so that we can keep track and guarantee the supply of it. So it's always seeing the impact measurement as a continuous improvement, even in the early stages. And perhaps at the early stages, it's not so quantitative, but you know more or less where you're going, you know more or less what you're missing, and you try to fill those gaps over time. And if I can, um, Pierre, there's a great book around that that I strongly recommend. Um, to read hopefully after you have a quick glance of the past two books, Lean Startup and Getting Beyond Better. Um, and, and the book is called um, Goldilocks Challenge, Right Fit Evidence for the Social Sector. And it just shows you how to run this impact measurement uh, in, a, in a
0: cheap, efficient, uh, fast way for a small startup. Thanks for the book recommendation, Seb. So that people have a sense of your social impact, do you know the number of dispensing machines that your organization has placed in schools? Yeah, of course, we've we've distributed uh, more than 20 machines over um,
1: in Colombia. Um, We had a a gap that it was the the pandemic, and I think that's also a fascinating topic. And it was was normally before the pandemic, we went there with a ground team, and the team uh, did the intervention, uh, get the whole community, did the whole method, the whole process. But when the pandemic got here, we couldn't go now uh, physically to the schools. What were we going to do? So when some people say, Sebastian, go into, into Zoom, go into uh, Google Classroom, whatever these digital things. But I understand that this is, a, and that's also a great advice, it's a human-centered
0: approach. And up to the pandemic, how many condoms have been distributed? Uh, over 24,000. Wow. Over twenty four thousand—that's a big number for a startup, especially I imagine as you had to purchase and take responsibility for distributing the contraceptives. Which leads me on to the subject of money. How have you financed the social enterprise, Seb, over the years? That's a great question, and that—that's like the whole iterative approach.
1: Because first we 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 oh oh you have to go backwards, even though I was working at the time, so I could pay my bills. So that was the, like the first the first thing. Um, second thing, we, we thought that being doing cost marketing campaigns and leveraging the story and doing the media exposure was going to finance. We did it for some while. It gave us some cash flow. But then when we got the trust, when we got the expertise of going into schools, we, we developed a B2B business model in which uh, or big organizations, traditional organizations that were already mobilizing resources towards preventing teenage pregnancy, uh, they needed a really expert operator, and we filled that gap. So we were contracted by these bigger organizations that were already mobilizing resources, and now we're in the step that we are um, going directly to the source of funding. So that could be international cooperation, that could be government, that could be uh, family offices, that could be uh, NGO- bigger NGOs, uh, etc. These big
0: organizations—they sponsored you with money. They paid us a service of preventing teenage pregnancy. So, by doing a job that they were responsible for, they paid TXC cent. Exactly, they're doing a job that they are responsible
1: for, or they are interested for, or they are already mobilizing resources to tackle that problem. So, they mobilize it from the from the private sector. They mobilize it from international cooperation. They mobilize it from the government. They, they are already mobilizing that resource. And they have to implement the project, so they are look for the expertise, and we deliver that expertise. And you make money by providing condoms in schools too? No, that's that's a, that's called, we actually charge it, but it's more a symbolic charge because we saw that uh, if we gave the condoms away, it didn't have the impact or uh, that it should. People were just making um, uh, getting twenty at the same time just for the sake of it. So um, we just charge a symbolic a, a symbolic charge, and it's actually,
0: it stays in the, in the schools. Seb, thank you so much. Why am I not surprised that you donate any money made through the dispensing machines to the schools themselves? And this takes me on to one final question, Seb, before we wrap up. Having devoted several years of your life to your own social enterprise in Colombia, What would you say to anyone thinking of starting their own social impact organization? And what advice would you offer? So to answer that question, I have to go back just a second or contextualize
1: a second. I think there's no better moment in history to get into social impact enterprises than now. I think we are in the best moment to do so. Because uh, impact investment for the first time in history is higher than venture capital. Uh, the trend of consumers is responsible trend, responsible retail, responsible, sustainable consumption. So it's the perfect moment to, to launch your your, your startup. Um, a big piece of advice besides the purpose and getting out there, trying fast, building trust, everything, it's try to find a, co- a co-founder early on. Try to find a team early on. Um, if I had to... To bet on a good idea and a bad team besides a bad idea and a great team, I would bet for the great team. The great team will get it delivered, will get it done, will iterate, will experiment and will just deliver that impact and get out there.
0: Sebastian, it's been a pleasure being able to talk with you and learn about your work. I know you are looking for partnerships in other areas of the world, so if anyone in listener land, wants to get in touch, I'll make sure your contact details are shared on the Startup Survival page within the Hitchhiker's Guide to Entrepreneurship. Seb, thank you for your time. Thank you for everything you are doing in Colombia and thank you for being a great guest here on the Startup Survival podcast. Peter, thank you very much for the
1: invitation and was delighted for being here. Uh, Just wanting to invite everybody to... Build a social impact, build a social enterprise. There's no better moment. And if you want to try into reducing teenage pregnancy, just let me know, and we can do some experiments wherever you are in the
0: world. Thank you very much, Peter. Well, you've just been hearing from social entrepreneur Sebastian Haravillo and his work to break down barriers and reduce the poverty cycle in Colombia caused by unwanted teenage pregnancy. Partway through our discussion, Seb mentioned the book The Goldilocks Challenge, Right Fit Evidence for the Social Sector. Written by Dean Carlin and Mary Kay Gugarty, I want to make this text my book recommendation for this episode. Seb shared the importance of social impact, but also made it clear impact needs to be continuously measured so work efforts can be improved. But what impact data should you be collecting? Well, if you gather and share the right kind of impact data, sponsors, stakeholders and investors will be attracted to your social cause. And by reading the Goldilocks Challenge, you'll learn how to collect that evidence and thus leverage support and grow your organisation. Our time in Colombia is drawing to a close. But before we head off to the next destination, it is important to recognise my special guest. Seb, thank you for sharing your work and how you've gone about making a difference to the lives of so many people. Sharing your wisdom and giving your time to the Startup Survival podcast is really appreciated. And thank you to Duncan, my producer, Chris for your research, and another grateful nod to the music sponsors Sea Jam Moths. Finally, without the support of LJ at the London School of Economics, as well as the SimVenture team who allow me time out to do this, the podcast would not be possible. In the next episode, to be published on Thursday, the 6th of May, I'll be exploring the importance of startups being environmentally sustainable and what measures they can and should be taking to ensure this status. Meanwhile, Your podcast feedback is not just welcomed, it's needed. Share what you really like and let me know the truth about what needs to be improved. And of course, whatever your listening channel of preference, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Until next time, my name's Peter Harrington and this has been your Startup Survival Podcast. Go well, stay safe and thank you.